Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the CyberSense Power Up podcast. I'm Dr. Dustin Weissman and today I'm going to be reviewing an article I found by Dr. Mark Griffiths out of England and it's in Psychology Today and titled Adolescent Social Media Use. How do social media operators facilitate habitual use? <clears throat> so essentially he's asking how do they get you to stay on? habitually and check. So the first thing that he addresses is the obvious outer shell of the whole thing. He looks at smartphone sounds and vibrations. So when you get a notification on your phone, it's going to make a ring, a ping, a buzz, or a vibration, as he says. And that's going to alert you that you have something waiting for you to check on that smartphone device. It could be anything from a Facebook or Instagram like, to an email, to a video game update or notification, to anything on your alarm, and a myriad of other possibilities. So when we get that little buzz or ping, it's going to divert our attention. Our attention is very precious and it's also being exploited by these devices and some of those we want to happen. For me, I love having my attention diverted by my calendar. I want my schedule to be rigid and I want it to be able to snap me out of whatever I'm doing to notify me. I have something coming up, whether it's seeing another client, or working on the podcast, or responding to emails, whatever it might be, I like to have that you know, interruption saying, okay, it's time to finish the task you're on and move on to the next task. However, what happens when you're working on a task and the ping interrupts your attention? Now you're faced with this decision. Do I continue focusing on what I'm doing, or do I glance, just a peek, a tiny little look at that phone because it could have some really cool, interesting news. It could have an update in my life. It could have a game-changing comment. It could be communication of a blossoming relationship or of an existing one. It could be my wife telling me how wonderful I am. I don't usually get that text often. So, maybe you do. <laughs> it's important to, to know how to answer that question. So for me, whenever I'm in session, I try my best to remember when I go into a session to put my phone on mute. And that's the one function that you can do where all notifications, rings, anything that could happen on your phone or at least my phone, will not make a sound or vibration in my pocket. I will not have my attention diverted when I'm with somebody in a one-on-one -on -one session, and they are there to see me to help them. So if you ever tried reaching me at that time, that's the reason I don't respond for a while. And who said that we have to respond 
right away. I get with a phone call, you either get it or you miss it. You know, I remember uh, hearing a presenter talk about when they were in their youth, and it was that one phone in the house. And if you were waiting for a phone call, you would sprint to the phone and get there before anybody could because it could be your friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend waiting on the other line, and you didn't want anybody else to know or you didn't want anybody else to have a chance to hang up. So you would just run to it. Uh, I had this when I was a teenager. I had a home phone in my room. So it was my phone number, but it was my room, which was upstairs. So if I heard it ringing when I was downstairs, I would do that. I would sprint upstairs and just try to get to the phone before it hit voicemail. Because then, who knows what's going to happen. You, you can miss that important call or something that's going on. But now, we have the text message. And initially, it was supposed to be that. There was supposed to be a delay. Like, oh, I can't call you right now, but let me just send you a message and get back to me when you want or when you can. But over time, it's evolved as the primary communication. So when you get that text, there's this need to respond right away. And I think part of that is so that you get another response to keep it going. And then, of course, uh, as Don Grant liked to talk about in his presentation, when that gives you this, the bubble that says somebody's typing something, and you get excited for, for what they can say, and then if it goes away, come on, what were you going to say? So we want that. And what's happening in our brain is each time we have that communication, it's pleasurable for us. It's a good experience. Even if the actual experience might be bad news or disappointing or not what we wanted, the initial expectation of what might happen, that gives us a release of dopamine. And you may have heard this, and it's actually discussed in this article too, the release of dopamine. What is that? What is dopamine? Well, dopamine is a neurotransmitter in our brain. And it when we say release, it means that it's traveling, and not just one, there's a bunch of them, a bunch of neurotransmitters released from one neuron to another. Those are the little cells inside your brain that communicate messages. So when we have them being released, that means it's coming out of one and then going into another. And then when it's going into another, that's what we experience. So that all happens in this area called the synaptic cleft, and then it's being received on a receptor site. So imagine a plane coming in for a landing, and every one of those planes is bringing in good news or good feelings, and the good feelings are the dopamine. It makes you feel good. So let's say you eat a bar of chocolate, and that's going to bring in a bunch of dopamine. So let's say that has, for just example, 100 planes of dopamine. So they all, you get 100 planes landing in, and then we have 100 terminals, and they all come in, and everything's great, feel wonderful. Sometimes there might be 25 landing sites. So, you know, if you're at LAX, you have to taxi on the terminal for a little bit, waiting to get to yours. And that's what's going on. You have them hanging out in the synaptic cleft, and then they come through. But sometimes, with a like or a comment, it might just be five planes. So you get this little bit of dopamine. And that's what it usually is. You're usually getting just one here, one there, you know, a, a small amount. But then every once in a while, you have 
something that is really well received or an update or something that you wanted to happen that you've been waiting for or expecting or hoping and then it feels great and when it feels great you have that 100 or 200 planes coming in and you're just getting flooded it's like woo, i'm popular or i'm loved or whatever it might be and that's when you feel good so hopefully that explains a little bit what people mean by dopamine release that's kind of what's going on so something else that uh, Dr. Griffiths talks about, and that's uh, in case you want to look him up, it's G R I F F I T H S, uh, and Mark is about M A R K. So, uh, another thing that he talks about is this attention as well. He references Julian Morgan's saying that it, he described it as an attention economy referring to the demand of individuals' attention with attention being the commodity that is traded online. So you have businesses vying for our attention, and that I've talked about in my live presentations is what companies want, and their goal is to get you your eyeballs focused on their content and then keep you there. So step one, get you to look at their game, their app, their site, whatever it might be. Step two is to keep you there. And then the longer you're there, the more they can charge for their advertisers. So think about this from an advertiser point of view. Would you want to pay money to have your content displayed on a site where people are there for five seconds or five minutes or 20 minutes? So I would want the 20 minutes one of those options. I'd want them there as long as possible so they could see my content in my ad. It has a higher percent chance. If they're there for five seconds, they're probably looking at the content that drew, uh, that drew them in and not at my ad. But if they're there for a while, they're more likely to see my ad. So it's in their best interest to have the person there longer. And for me, I... I'm just happy you're listening to this. You don't have to be looking at your phone while you listen. So, you know, your attention, I hope, is focused. Uh, but if you're driving, watch out for that car. He's merging a little bit too close. Okay, just kidding. Uh, yeah, so it's important to realize that these companies want your attention. The CEO of Netflix, I believe two years ago, or a year and a half ago or so, tweeted that their biggest competitor was sleep because they couldn't vie for your attention when you're sleeping. And I know that from some Netflix employee, employees that I've talked to that the company itself as a whole does not feel that way. They don't want you to only be uh, on their uh, um, on Netflix watching their videos and not sleeping. So that was just the CEO's comment. doesn't reflect the culture of the company. Just want to share that. But it is important to think, okay, well, wow, if their biggest competitor is sleep, they really want your attention. And you can see this in some of the ways that they've done their autoplay. And if you've noticed, DirecTV now does that. And I think all the, a lot of the cable providers, like if you watch an episode and you have other ones, let's say on your DVR, it'll autoplay and it'll keep you on. So, you know, the more you're on, the more likely you are to see their ads and so forth. So going back to this article, which I really like, it's a good overall 
coverage of different things about social media and smartphone use. He does get into uh, Facebook a little bit, and he quotes Sean Parker, the founding president of Facebook, saying that, well, quote, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? Facebook's architects exploited a vulnerability in human psychology. Whenever someone likes or comments on a post or photograph, we give you a little dopamine hit. So that goes back to my dopamine rant, <laughs> as you might say, uh, earlier on. So another thing is the social connection. Uh, Dr. Griffiths goes on to say that human beings have been described as social animals, and as such, most individuals want to be connected with other like-minded individuals. Social networks provide the medium for adolescents to connect in an instantaneous way and is another key ingredient in repetitive use. So we have this uh, young population who is connected in an extreme way compared to generations before. They can communicate instantaneously, they can self-document and show every aspect of their lives and at the same time they're also the most disconnected from each other when it comes to face-to-face -face interactions and interpersonal relationships and deeper level of communication and so forth. So he, the next section that Dr. Griffiths explores is reciprocal liking and he talks about this as the tendency of individuals to like others who express a liking for themselves. In essence, I like you because you like me. And that's what we do with the like buttons. We'll like somebody else's post with the hope that they're going to like ours back. I'll comment on yours and hope that you'll comment back on mine. And that becomes a lot of the relationship for young people today is this back and forth and having to keep up. Like, if I don't like their comment, they're not going to like any of my future comments. So that can then lead to social competition, which is the next section in this article, where you have people competing against each other and with each other and trying to keep up, and it just becomes this huge mountain. Trying to keep up a social media profile is much more difficult for adolescents, I think, than it was just keeping a regular popular profile. Because it's always there and it's always expected to be instantaneous. Before smartphones, this kind of communication wasn't there. I mean, you could separate your life, and you could have a school life, and you could have a personal home life away from that. And I feel like there's so much on display that adolescents don't have as much opportunity to have that private aspect of themselves, especially if they're on the receiving end of cyberbullying. You can't escape it as easily as regular bullying, where you go to school, you deal with it, you go home, you're you know you're home, you're safe. There's no home safe anymore. It's, you can still be getting cyber attacks, and unless you decide to delete all social media and change your phone number and not be connected because then you're giving up something that you might want and then the bullies might still be winning in that regard. So it's really important to recognize the changes that we have 
in in our younger generation what they're going through. So another thing is the psychological investment that he talks about. Uh, you're more than welcome to go and read that on your own. But one thing that I didn't mention, which ties in what I was saying and this, is Snapchat streaks. And that's when you have to continually post uh, something on Snapchat. For example, somebody might have to do 100, or they might get a score of 100, meaning that they got 100 consecutive days of keeping that Snapchat streak alive. And that could be just something silly. It could be something more difficult. It can range on whatever the streak is. And, you know, if you have five of these streaks and six of these streaks, and you know, at what point do you let the ball drop? And then do you feel like you let people down by stopping the streak? So these can take a lot of time away from people, uh, adolescents specifically, in terms of getting their homework done, being with their friends, because now they're performing for their friends, or really they might be just performing for Snapchat. Because, you know, who benefits from them? Well, Snapchat benefits from them having their Snapchat streaks because that means they're spending more time on their app. But kids don't realize that. They don't see the bigger picture as easily. They see their friends are on it, and they're all doing it, and they don't want to be left out. So they can relate to being an adolescent and not wanting to feel left out. That's kind of what's going on. And it's a difficult scenario for them to be in. But if you are an adolescent or if you have an adolescent, I definitely encourage communication about what you're doing with your smartphone time and what it's doing to you. And just allow a forum for conversation and exploration without having to pry. Uh, realize that children today are treated as commodities and it's not necessarily an act of rebellion when they're trying to, you know, when they're on their phone all the time, or it's they're just there's psychological factors, as Facebook says. Sean Parker said in his comment that they are tapping into the neurochemistry of our brains. So one last thing I want to address is the fear of missing out, because it all ties into this. Uh, it's also known as FOMO, if you've heard the term. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's fear of missing out what's going on in day-to-day -day life or uh, with the friends. Any activities going on, like we don't want to miss out. You know? Nobody wants to miss out. Nobody wants to feel left out. So it's hard for people to get disconnected because then they'll miss the latest news, the latest gossip. Gossip is a very powerful device and people just eat it up. Uh, if they didn't, I think e-news and e-network wouldn't be surviving as long as it is. But really, it's, it's entertaining and it's interesting and when you're the one that gets to deliver the gossip, then you get some praise for it. You get uh, maybe not praise, but you get attention. A lot of says attention seeking. That's kind of the theme. So we want attention just the same as the YouTubers want attention, as the same as YouTube wants those YouTubers to get attention because they make money off of them. So 
definitely a good article, and I want to thank Dr. Griffiths for, for writing it. And if you find your way to this podcast, I hope you enjoyed my uh, addressing it and that I did it justice, and I just didn't do it with the English accent, although that may have been offensive. <laughs> so... Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please share any thoughts or comments you have. And I hope I didn't get down too much on on our devices, but it's very good to be aware of how they work and their ulterior motives. Don't get me wrong. I love my device, and I love using the apps. And I think in a future episode, I will cover just purely positive components of technology because I really do find it to be amazing. I'm baffled sometimes. If you take this technology back 100 years, 1,000 years, you know, we'd all be considered witches and wizards. So what we do have in our hand is, is definitely magic. And I hope that you're able to appreciate it as much as I, the capabilities of what we can do with our technology, how wonderful it is, but also to... Be careful to not fall into the traps that, you know, come with it. So thank you again for listening today, and have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, morning, whenever, wherever you are.